You're listening to Counter Moves, a Christian review of ideas shaping church and culture. On Counter Moves, we interview some of today's most incisive thinkers on the ideas and trends affecting Christian witness in a secular age. Our mission is summed up in the words of Carl F.H. Henry. If the church fails to apply the central truth of Christianity to social problems correctly, someone else will do so incorrectly. On this episode of Counter Moves, I'm going to be interviewing a good friend of mine, Tim Gagline. And one of the reasons I've wanted to talk with Tim is because of his friendship with one of my own heroes who I never actually got to personally meet uh, during his own lifetime, and that person is William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, Buckley is arguably the founder of what we would know today as conservatism in an American context, uh, and he was able to forge kind of this movement of conservatism during his tenure at National Review, which he founded, and also on one of the longest-running TV shows in American history called Firing Line. And February 2018 actually marked the 10th anniversary of Buckley's passing, Uh, and it's a day I remember quite well. I was a senior in college and remember hearing on the news that William F. Buckley had passed and had a passing familiarity with who he was, Uh, but later on in my life, he would become a huge figure in how I understood and developed my own personal political philosophy. And on today's episode, I want to discuss what Christians can learn about Buckley's faith and how that might apply to how we operate in the public square. And to do that, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking with Tim Gagline, who is a good friend of mine and someone I so admire, uh, and he is the Vice President of External Relations for Focus on the Family. And before that, he was a special assistant to the U.S. President George W. Bush uh, and was deputy director of the White House Office of Public Liaison from 2001 to 2008, and is the author of a book about his experience working in the White House titled Man in the Middle, an inside account of faith and politics in the George W. Bush era. And Tim is someone I would venture to say uh, that almost everyone in D.C. seems to know. Um, he's a conservative's conservative in the best sense of the term. Uh, he's a champion of ideas. Uh, he's a lover of books. And if you go into his office in D.C., it's, it's an office strewn with books uh, and conservative memorabilia all around the office. But um, before we dive into the interview, it's also worth noting that Tim is someone who I consider just to be a, a deep friend uh, and, and a friend who has consulted me through my career, and, and particularly, I remember in one season of life when I was working in D.C., uh, my wife and I experienced a miscarriage, and, and Tim was someone who I remember going to his office and kind of seeking counsel and support, and so Tim was someone that really filled uh, a major void in my life uh, during that time when my wife and I were in D.C. So I'm really excited to have Tim on the line today, and so Tim, thank you for being with us, and uh, thanks for uh, your time today. Well, it's all my pleasure and honor, and uh, any time uh, spent with you, Andrew, is time well spent, and I appreciate uh, all of those very kind comments. I have learned uh, so much from you across uh, all of our uh, friendship, and I'm just uh, so pleased that we can have this uh, conversation. Well, thank you, Tim. The first question before we even get into Buckley is just tell us a little bit about what you do at Focus on the Family. Well, may I say, uh, I came to Focus uh, nearly 10 years ago at a time when Focus on the Family 
uh, with this very consequential ministry, which by God's grace it remains and it continues to grow and have uh, wonderful uh, influence, uh, but it had never had a formal front door in Washington. A number of organizations had been born of Focus on the Family uh, or had been born as a direct or indirect result of the influence of Focus on the Family, uh, but it never had, a, as I say, a, a front door. Uh, and so when I came to Focus on the Family, our president, Jim Daly, uh, said that he wanted to uh, create a position which was government and external relations and whose primary responsibility was, uh, you know, to be in touch in the House and in the Senate, uh, in the White House, uh, in the federal courts, in the think tanks and the public uh, policy institutions. Uh, it was not going to be, as Jim envisioned it, a role where it was a policy-making uh, position because we at Focus have a public policy division that is very ably and excellently uh, uh, headed by my colleague, uh, Carrie Gordon Earl, who's very highly regarded, and, and all of her wonderful team. But uh, this, this part of Focus on the Family is, you know, firmly uh, inside the Beltway, uh, in it but not of it, uh, <laughs> but it is primarily constituted, uh, you know, to share the primary vision and mission of Focus on the Family, why marriage, family, parenting, uh, pro-life, religious liberty, the rights of conscience, why all of those things matter. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I uh, am you know, just very uh, privileged and honored every day to come in uh, to focus on the family, to snap on the proverbial lights, and to share the good news. Hmm. That's great. So I, I have one other question before we get to Buckley directly. Uh, it's on this question of conservatism, which when we talk about Buckley, you automatically have to go to conservatism. And conservatism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but I, I think of you as someone who is a token conservative in the best sense of the term, and I would love for you to define what it is you think conservatism really is. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when uh, Bill graduated from Yale uh, in, the, uh, in the 1950s, he wrote a very famous book called God and Man at Yale, and mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be talking about that book. And I think it's fair to say that, that when Bill wrote and uh, had that book published, um, if he were asked this question, um, he would have mostly defined it by the narrative of that book, uh, which was a dubiousness uh, about secularism hmm. and a dubiousness about the, the sort of collective or collectivization that you know, had dominated uh, the, the themes of post-World War II conservatism, which is to say Bill, as a practicing Catholic, felt that faith had to be center, uh, you know, central to the project, but he also felt uh, that, uh, that increasing neo-socialism, hmm. uh, a dubiousness about capitalism, about entrepreneurial capitalism, uh, you know, was increasingly held in very low regard. And I think he had good reason to believe that that both were the case, uh, you know, on elite campuses in the post-World War II era. It, it, it was born uh, of a, you know, a World War II and that conflagration. Bill had been involved in that war. Uh, and it also had been born uh, of the New Deal. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that, that, that the early post-World War II a conservative movement had these elements of dubiousness uh, about uh, socialism, 
dubiousness about it, you know, a new uh, secularization that Bill was uncomfortable with, uh, and also uh, this growing, I think, uh, view uh, that America was a rather exceptional country, and in light of Nazi Germany uh, and the and the Soviet Union and the Cold War, which was then, uh, you know, revving up its engines, that Bill felt that there was a need intellectually uh, in America for something new. But mm. at the end of the day, and this is so important, at the end of the day, I really believe that if Bill Buckley were asked, what is conservatism? I think he would begin uh, very close to uh, what his uh, great friend uh, and ally in the conservative movement, Russell Kirk, believed. Mm. And I think that Bill Buckley and Russell Kirk are increasingly seen as major post-World War II conservative yeah. leaders, probably uh, outside of politics, the two most important. And Russell Kirk had uh, written uh, in his book, The Conservative Mind, that the conservative is concerned, first of all, for the regeneration of spirit and character with the perennial problem of the inner order of the soul what Russell believed was the restoration of the ethical understanding and, very importantly, the religious sanction upon which any life worth living is founded. And Russell said, and I quote, this is conservatism at its highest. It was an Anglo-American conservatism. It did not have uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of a formal political plan, right. but it was very much in concert with the way uh, that Bill viewed and uh, would eventually promulgate the building of the conservative movement in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think that that's how Bill and Russell Kirk together would have viewed uh, conservatism. I think that's that's the exactly correct definition to be to begin with, because I think that shows kind of the natural allied relationship that a lot of Christianity has often found itself with in philosophical conservatism, because at root, um, you know, you can, we can debate a lot of the policy mechanisms, but at root what they share in common is a similar worldview about the nature of man, who man is, what man is made for, and how man organizes himself and herself in society. So I, I think that definition you provide is, is exactly uh, the, the right place to begin. And uh, I want to dive in more specifically to, to Buckley here, uh, and specifically your relationship with him. So h- how did you first meet Bill Buckley? What was the nature of that relationship? And I guess, what was it like over the years? And, and any personal anecdotes? I know this is a wide open question, but just give us a sense of, of, of your friendship with Bill Buckley. Well, we have a common friend, uh, and uh, our common friend in the 1990s uh, was giving a lecture at the Heritage Foundation in Washington. And I did not uh, know Bill at the time, had never met him, never been in touch with him, uh, but our common friend was, was giving this talk, and, uh, and, and during the talk, I, I asked a question. And, uh, you know, uh, this friend of mine thought it was a very uh, intriguing question. And he wrote a letter, unbeknownst to me, to Bill, saying there is a press secretary in the U.S. Senate, and that was me. Uh, and he said he uh, asked a very interesting question uh, at, a, at, a, at a recent lecture. 
And uh, I think it would be you know, important for you at some time to get to know uh, this young man. Mm. And uh, Bill had a history of, uh, of uh, spotting young uh, conservative men and women, uh, typically in their uh, 20s or early 30s, uh, and getting to know them. He, he liked young people. Uh, and uh, I you know, couldn't have known any of this you know, at the time. Uh, but I uh, was going into the mailroom in the era long before email, and there was a letter in my Senate mailbox from Bill Buckley. And he explained that this common friend of ours had sent him a note, and he said, would I be willing to come to New York uh, to one of the National Review uh, dinners that Bill and his wife, Pat, hosted at their home in New York uh, after an editorial board meeting at mm-hmm. National Review? And I, I, it was rather surreal, you know, getting sure. a letter from Bill Buckley asking <laughs> yeah. to come to dinner at his home. And it took me, I think, about one second to decide that, yeah, this was probably a good thing to do. You'll, you'll rearrange your schedule, I assume, for that. Yes, exactly right. And so I took the train to New York and uh, went to Buckley's home. And, you know, uh, as another friend of mine famously said, when you went to dinner at the Buckley's, it was like being dropped into the middle of one of the Thin Man movies. Uh, you know, it was just rather otherworldly. Um, you know, it was a, a, a uh, began with a kind of a informal uh, reception at their home and uh, migrated uh, to uh, a rather lively, extraordinary dinner party. And uh, you know, you never knew who quite was coming to dinner. And uh, and I thought that I was just one of the you know participants. Uh, and there were, I think, something like ten guests that night. Yeah. Well, it turned out that in the middle of the evening after dinner, there was a kind of a conversation at, at, at the table, and Bill turned to me and asked me my opinion. And uh, I, I must tell you, I was rather dumbfounded. I mean, why would anyone <laughs> care what I thought about anything? Uh, and it, it must have gone well, because uh, about 10 days later, I received another letter from Bill uh, saying, uh, you know, uh, he loved having, uh, you know, this dinner party and, and was pleased by things. And would I be willing to come to his home in Connecticut and, uh, and, and, uh, go sailing. And I thought, go sailing. I, you know, I'm from Indiana. Right. And, um, so I accepted that invitation and it was, you know, just a, an overnight uh, sail, uh, with three other people, new friends, and it just went great. You know, it wasn't about politics and it right. wasn't about anything that you and I would say was particularly, uh, you know, substantial, but it turns out that it turned, it, it, it began a very long friendship with Bill. Uh, and, uh, it, it turned into a sailing friendship. I learned to, he taught me to sail, which was pretty great, yeah. uh, but it turned uh, into above all, uh, really, uh, you know, uh, just, just a wonderful friendship over uh, a number of years where eventually it seems that, you know, every possible topic was discussed. Right. You know, I, I as an evangelical, he is a, he is a Catholic and, um, it, it, it turned out to be one of the fortunate friendships in my life and, uh, and a really great blessing. And he was such a movement builder. I mean, he's always grafting people into the movement to expand kind of the coalition of conservatism. And and one of those, you know, you alluded to was the fact that you're an evangelical Christian, and he was uh, a devout Catholic. And I, I want to talk a little bit about Buckley's faith. Uh, he, he, he was known to be uh, a Catholic. He did not shy away from that. Uh, he, he wrote a book, Nearer My God to Thee. Uh, it was kind of a spiritual autobiography. 
And I would love if you could kind of maybe unpack how you understood William F. Buckley's faith to inform him, and I guess maybe inform his views on uh, the public square and politics. Well, I, I think that it would be genuinely impossible to understand Bill Buckley without understanding that at the heart and the center of his entire life was his Christianity. And in fact, uh, it's, I think, long forgotten, but uh, Harper's Magazine did a symposium, uh, and the symposium was titled Christians, Why Do You Still Believe in God in the Promise of the Cross? And, you know, this is really worth taking a look at, uh, because there were a number of, you know, famous public intellectuals who were asked uh, this question. And uh, in my view, Bill's uh, essay uh, is one of the sparkling essays, hmm. and, and I think it is possibly uh, one of the, the, the nearest thing that we get to uh, the question of why uh, why his why his Christianity was so central, and I might just quote a bit of it. Sure. Uh, he said, and I'm, I'm quoting Bill Buckley. He said, "There is a choice." He said, "Mine is that the order of the universe, the arching of the human spirit, the enduring mysteries of love, and the unique serenity of faith are the result of central planning." Mm. Uh, capital C, capital P, <laughs> the result of central planning, meaning providence. He says, which took seven days, not seven seconds, to make a world exciting enough to doubt him. He said, that is the flirtatious side of God, to reach for a terrestrial metaphor. He said, I am programmed, and he's speaking very personally now, he said, I am programmed to love God and to seek, however vainly, to obey him, and to trust that the course he laid out for me in the grandest voyage through time and space and uncertainty to infinity and transfiguration and resolution. Bill said, I shall follow the star of Bethlehem waywardly, and if I fail to reach it, I shall be guilty of every delinquency, save that I have ever doubted it was there. You know, this is a profound, Mm. profound uh, statement, not just of faith, it's a profound statement uh, of the one of the most consequential uh, journalists of the entire 20th century. Right. Uh, you, know, it, you know, Bill navigated, in his own words, by the Star of Bethlehem. Mm. You know, he believed in in uh, in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He believed that he was the Son of God. He believed that he was raised uh, from death on the third day, Easter Sunday. And he uh, was a was a creedal, a Catholic, meaning that that they, he had a very orthodox doctrinal view of his faith, and it informed his friendships. It informed his view of politics, uh, which, as I said a moment ago, uh, he viewed as a branch of ethics. Mm. And uh, very importantly, uh, Andrew, and I think this is perhaps the most misunderstood thing about Bill, is that his faith informed what he called trans-ideological friendships. He had friendships with those on the progressive far left. He had uh, friendships with those on, you know, what we would call paleoconservatives. Mm-hmm. You know, he found a way uh, to find magnanimity and grace in his friendships, and he did not 
you know, apply some ideology to those friendships. Rather, it was born of uh, his faith. Well, and so what you just said um, kind of leads into my next question about what can Christians learn uh, up today? I mean, he's, he's been deceased for 10 years. Uh, so w- what are some other lessons we can learn from his life? And I think one of them you just alluded to, that uh, Christianity has an understanding of the human as someone who possesses intrinsic worth, and that someone is not just the sum total of their ideologies and their beliefs, that at root, all of us are people, and we have that commonality uh, together. And that allows us to build bridges and friendships with very, very unlikely uh, individuals at various points in our life and in how we interact politically. Yeah, I really love that question. Uh, very recently, I had read uh, that someone <clears throat> uh, wrote, and I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain who it was, but this person wrote that it was important to pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Mm. Uh, that, that the life that you're currently living has real meaning and real purpose. Now, you know, across a lot of conversations and letters with Bill and so forth, it would be a misnomer for me to say that although he had a profound, you know, eternal moral code, right? I think his was the, the, the code of honor, the code of a gentleman, how he was raised. I, I think he would, you know, would shy away from saying, here's the, the sort of moralistic meaning of life, you know? Here's kind of the proverbial 10-point plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was never my experience with him. But I think through the example of how he lived, this idea of pursuing in life what is meaningful and not what is expedient, Uh, knowing that we all have a vocation and that doing that vocation with excellence and with integrity, with humility, but above all with faith, that was Bill. And, uh, and, you know, he he would uh, have believed very strongly that the core of great leadership is integrity and character. It's how he built and led the conservative movement, that, you know, that, that, that conscience was at the center hmm. and that government could not compel you against that. And that's really how, uh, how I took away from this friendship uh, the view of, of how conservatism should be you know, navigated regardless of party politics. We could spend the next three hours chatting about Bill Buckley. Uh, but in the interest of time, I have one kind of concluding question for you. Um, and it, it's how you think Buckley, if he were alive today, would, would assess the state of the conservative movement. I mean, National Review as an institution continues to thrive under the leadership of Rich Lowry. Uh, they are a masthead for movement conservatism still. It's a platform where I feel like evangelical Christians and Catholic Christians have, have free reign to write from their worldview, which I'm very thankful for. But if he were alive today, how do you think Bill Buckley would assess what we would call conservatism, as it's understood maybe popularly in, in the media? You know, uh, I, I never really heard Bill talk much, if I may say, about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we, I, I did talk with uh, Bill at length about the Civil War years, and I talked with him at length about the founding. Uh, but I very recently was uh, reading this ma- magnificent essay on Lincoln. 
And there is, Andrew, this wonderful, I mean, it's just fabulous. There's this wonderful quote from Lincoln. And Lincoln says that character is like a tree and reputation like its shadow. And Lincoln says the shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. Hmm. I really love that. Bill, I believe, was very interested in the first principles that informed his conservative worldview. It began with the belief in a transcendent moral order, as we've talked about. It involved uh, a limited government. It involved uh, low taxation. It involved uh, a constitution which had a fixed meaning and, uh, you know, was not a necessarily a living constitution. Uh, it involved a version of American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And it involved, uh, I think, uh, for most of his career, most of his life, uh, a very hawkish view of the Soviet Union, but always rooted in the same moral precepts that his great friend Whitaker Chambers espoused about uh, about freedom of conscience and freedom of will and, and the meaning, uh, and, and as you've said so well, the sort of almost sacramental uh, view of, of man and his, you know, uh, his, his right to be free. So I think that Bill would always apply the, the, these kind of principles to the question that you've asked. Uh, he, he would, you know, like Russell Kirk, uh, I think he, would, he was always less willing to jump right out of the box and say conservatism is Barry Goldwater or conservatism uh, is Ronald Reagan or is Margaret Thatcher or you know, these very big figures in his life. Uh, as, you, as you notice, uh, he always came to those figures later. They almost always first came to Bill, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is very important. And it's rooted in this, in this principled sense of conservatism. So I think that if you were to apply that rubric to the time we're in, I think you have to come to the conclusion that on several uh, public policies, you know, Bill would be pleased. He would be pleased uh, that we have someone like Neil Gorsuch at the Supreme Court and, or, or the federal uh, courts. He was uh, obviously, he and National Review, leaders of the pro-life movement. I think he would be uh, very pleased about that. Uh, and several of the personnel who, who, who populate our government, I think he'd be very pleased about that. Um, uh, as a fellow New Yorker, I think uh, that, that, that Bill uh, would find uh, ways to try to find uh, parts of the, of the Trump-Pence administration that he, Bill, could champion. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say champion, I mean that, that he could favor along principled lines. Mm-hmm. And along other lines, I think that, that, that Bill... Uh, would 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 definitively be a critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heavens, if Bill could uh, criticize as he did his great friend Ronald Reagan, right? Uh, you know, National Review was a leader, if I may say, in in the in the in the criticism eventually of Richard Nixon uh, and the call for Richard Nixon uh, to resign. Then Bill could certainly, uh, you know, with a very fluid pen, be uh, be very critical at certain turns uh, of the current administration. So I think where it was a principal policy or personnel, Bill would Bill would say so. And where he had uh, a significant disagreement, I think he would say that too. That that was part of what made him lively and interesting. He was never anybody's man, right? And he certainly was not an ideologue. 
Well, Tim, thank you so much. This has been such an encouraging time together, and I'm, I'm feeling all of the William F. Buckley nostalgia flooding over me right now. In fact, I took many notes from quotes that you uh, recited um, from our time together and plan to go do some research and, and find those for myself. So this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to do this podcast interview. And uh, just, again, thank you for your friendship and uh, wish you the very best and a great day today. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for all that you and ERLC do for Christ and his kingdom. Uh, You are such a special friend, and I can't be more grateful. Thanks so much for this time and this opportunity on behalf of all of us at Focus on the Family. Well, thank you very much. Well, that concludes this month's episode of Counter Moves. I hope you've found it entertaining and enlightening, and I look forward to uh, being back with you in future episodes. Thank you very much.